0: Born and raised here, first 30 years of my life, then I moved to uh, Minneapolis, I was there for 10 years, and then I was in L.A. for like 17 years, and yep. then I, I moved back here about uh, five or six years ago. My point is that I'm old. I've lived a long time, is my point. What brought you out to the Midwest? I was sent to uh, Minnesota for drug rehab, because oh. I had a living in New York. In my youth, I developed a problem. And my family did an intervention on me and uh, sent me to Minnesota, where I'd never been before. And then I went to uh, rehab, and I, then I went to a halfway house, and then I was like, um, hey, uh, this is nice here. I think I'll stick around. And there was a great comedy scene there that I became a part of, and that all led to Mystery Science Theater. You know, So it's just a very fortuitous thing. Uh, Series of events
1: is going to Minneapolis after spending all that time in New York. After growing up in New York, is it basically like Siberia at first?
0: No, I thought it was going to be that, yeah. and it never really kicked in that it was Siberia. S- Siberia because uh, it's such a great town. Yeah. There's so much going on. So much of what I was interested in was going on. Uh, comedy. Um, a lot of there's a lot of theater there, so there's a lot of actors there. There's a lot of writers there. Tons of musicians there so it was just you know i'd never given minneapolis a second thought my whole life except when i watched the mary tyler moore show you know and then i got there i'm like this is this is awesome and i was there for 10 years and i love it there
1: was that part of your family's impulse was to let's try to send him away from a place Um, that is new york
0: i think that might have played a part of it but uh, minnesota was known for drug rehabilitation Mm. facilities Uh, Hazleton is, you know, a really famous rehab place. I didn't go there, but they have a lot of them there. When I lived there, a lot of New York City expats, you might say, live there because a lot of us had just been sent there for rehab, you know. A lot of us who had gotten in trouble in the 70s and the 80s. So that's why they sent me there was because... It was known for having good rehab, and then I just ended up staying there. I mean, I could have very well just come right back after I'd been there, and as far as they knew, that's what I was going to do, you know, but uh, I ended up just staying there.
1: Is it hard to go and get dry or kick something when you're still spending all that time inside of the comedy and, and music community?
0: At first, it was a little hard there was a place in Minneapolis called the Haha ha Club, which was non-alcoholic, you know. So I started there. But then eventually, after a few months, I was like, if I really am serious about this, I have to start going to the Comedy Gallery, which was the main club there at the time. So I started going there. And at first, it was a little hard to be around uh, liquor and stuff. But I kind of, uh, after not too long, it wasn't really a problem anymore. And and I, and I just didn't worry about it. And now... To this day, I've been sober 31 years. Uh, you know, I'm around liquor all the time, and it doesn't bother me.
1: At a certain point, it just stops. Yeah, at least for me
0: it. it did, you know.
1: Yeah. Were you doing stand-up when you moved out there?
0: Yeah, I was. I had done stand-up in New York. I'd done open mics. I'd done the Catcher Rising Star open mic mm-hmm. and the improv open mic. There was a place called The Good Times on 3rd Avenue and like, uh, 20... 8th Street or 30th Street, maybe, and and 2nd Avenue or 3rd Avenue. A lot of little rooms around town, the, the Triple Inn, um, and uh, and like the Bitter End, you know. Yeah. And, and I was working at the Bitter End as a bartender, and they started having comedy there. But I was starting to do stuff, but I never got any traction because my demons were just getting in the yeah. way all the time. I wasn't sticking to it. I wasn't doing it every night, you know so uh that that so it it was a problem,
1: I have to imagine being a bartender on Bleecker Street probably didn't help with no the no, it
0: was uh yeah, and I was always going to after hours clubs yeah. and everything you know it was it was it was crazy
1: so I mean in a sense you got a clean start, I mean, you, you moved to you you're doing stand up in what I have to imagine is one of the most difficult cities in a sense to do stand up in, yeah uh you know. Small fish, big ponds, and moving to a mid-sized city was yeah. that? Is that a better experience? Is doing starting stand-up in Minneapolis easier?
0: Yeah, it was, and and the main reason for it, and why um, I would recommend people starting to do comedy. Uh, this was really the case back then. I don't know if it's as much the case yeah. now, but if you started in a if you started doing comedy in a place like Minneapolis or you know, um, Portland or Milwaukee or um, some place where there's no industry, people or there's no there's there's no opportunities to get on TV, yeah. And that's a good thing because you're not seen by anybody. Uh, you have the time to in to anonymously develop as a comedian and get better at it, so that by the time uh, um, you're ready, you that that's would be the time to move to Minneapolis, uh, to move to Los Angeles, or to New York. And that's what a lot of people did back then. I remember the thing that a lot of people did was they would move to San Francisco for a while when they felt ready, and then they would move to L.A., you yeah. know. So, um, you know, it's. I think it's a good, when you're starting out doing comedy, it's really the last thing you need to worry about is being seen by people, being seen by industry people, people who produce TV shows or whatever, because you really just want to develop what you do out of the limelight and just make all the mistakes you can make that you have to make to learn how to do what it is you do, you know. But but like I said, I would say that was really the case back then. Now I'm not as sure because I know a lot of comics in New York who started out here and, and who developed yeah. here. I guess it's such a big scene here that, and there's so many clubs, you know, kind of uh, that aren't Carolines and that aren't, you know... The, that aren't the comedy seller, where that are kind of like the equivalent of what I'm talking about, yeah. off the beaten track, where yeah. you're not necessarily going to be seen by by people until you feel like you're ready to be seen. I have to
1: imagine the the, the internet and YouTube have completely changed the equation yeah. as well. I mean, you has, can... That's
0: why that's why I hesitate to make pronouncements about yeah. comics now based on what it was like back then. You know. Uh, Back then, I probably would have been making YouTube videos or whatever, yeah. you know, um, so who knows.
1: I mean, Mystery Science Theater definitely feels like a precursor to that. To yeah, a lot of yeah, it was.
0: It, it was. it um, was the UHF station um, that they started the show on was yeah. kind of like the closest you could come to that kind of thing back then. And it was very underground and just very homegrown, very organic. Um, it just grew up from the ground, you yeah. know. And um, that was uh, part of the many circumstances, I think, that led to Mystery Science Theater working as well as it did. You know, being made by a bunch of people, Joel was the only one out of all of us who had done anything, you know. He had been in L.A., he had had been on Letterman, he had been on Saturday Night Live. The rest of us had never done anything in show business except stand-up comedy, you know, being a middle act or... You know, uh, Mike Nelson, I think, when he was hired, um, he had, he was still working at TGI Fridays, you know. Um, and then pretty soon he was the head writer. And, and I had only been like a Midwestern middle act, you know, touring, doing one-nighters. Trace had just done clubs in Minneapolis. He really hadn't done any, you know, none of us had done anything in show business, really.
1: When I think of, you know, bands from roughly the same time period from minneapolis you know your your princes your husky dudes, right. your replacements i mean it seems like because they started out in that scene without that same sort of external pressure that they were right. allowed to be really weird i mean especially yeah, in the yeah. case of prince right
0: oh yeah and
1: mystery yeah. science theater probably had uh, a similar origin especially you know it was talk about a pretty low pressure situation in public mm-hmm. television is about yeah, as low pressure well as it, it wasn't gets.
0: public it was uhf okay. you know and um yeah, it was, It was, and then when, when the show got on the Comedy Channel, which became Comedy yeah. Central, it was seen hardly anywhere. It wasn't seen in Minneapolis. Throughout the whole run of the show, none of us were ever, hardly ever recognized. We're recognized much more now than we were yeah. when we were actually doing the show. So it really did have the, yeah, the feeling that we were just doing what we wanted to do in uh, anonymity, although we were getting critical acclaim and all that kind of stuff. And we were getting, you know, we got nominated for Emmy Awards and things like that. We were so out of the loop in terms of show business, you know. And
1: you started around season two?
0: I started season two, yeah. It it had been on um, the local channel for a year. And then it had been on season one, which was really the second season. Season one on Comedy uh, comedy, uh, Channel. Yeah. Um, And then season two, which was the first season on Comedy Central. That was my first season, okay there. it was a thing by the
1: time you right. got on board, oh I mean, yeah it had national... admitted,
0: yeah it it had been happening, yeah, for two years by the time I came around. How did you hook up with that crew? It was a very um easy, just a lucky thing yeah. I was um Mike Nelson was a good friend of mine, and I had like basically he started at an open mic that I was running in Minneapolis, that's where he met his wife, Bridget there, mm. and we were all good friends. And Trace, too. We were all part of, like, the Minneapolis comedy scene. And, you know, and they had started doing Mystery Science Theater. And then Jay Elvis Weinstein, who um, he had left the show, he was leaving the show after the first season, so there was an opening. And Mike just said, I think Frank would be good. Mm. You know, he's uh, he's funny and he's a film buff and he, he would fit right in. And it was as simple as that, you know. They just said, yeah, okay, and then then I got hired, you know.
1: Having known all of those guys and, and worked uh, around them, at, at what point was it clear to you that it was
0: a thing? I think after the first, I think uh, what it was was, I think we were in uh, the second season I was there, and then it got picked up for two seasons. Yeah. It got picked up for 48 episodes. So I knew I would have a job for like two years, which was amazing. <laughs> unheard know? of at that yeah, point. unheard of. Yeah. So I think that was when... We thought, uh, oh, yeah, this is going to be a thing, because I think up until then, you know, there was no way of knowing, and if it had just been on for 13 episodes and off, that would have been the more normal thing to happen.
1: It certainly wasn't something you would probably place your bets on early on, because it was so out of left field.
0: Yeah, it was out of left field, and the comedy channel, you know, was a bit of an afterthought to them. They, you know, they had their daily programming, which was all, uh, people don't remember, but when the Comedy Channel first started, the whole idea behind it was it was like MTV except for comedy. So yeah. they had VJs who had blocks of time. They had um, Rachel Sweet and Tommy Sledge and um, Alan Havey, uh Higgins Boys and Gruber, and they would do like these two-hour, three-hour, whatever blocks of time. That it was like being a, a VJ, you know. It was like uh, like like a radio show yeah. kind of. And, you know, the Higgins boys, they do sketches and stuff. But they'd mainly just present comedy cl- clips from comedians, clips from shows. Hey. You know, no real regular show programming as much as just showing clips of comedy all day. And Mystery Science Theater was 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 a weekend show, you know. Um, so I, I always describe it as like if, if we were on a radio station, uh, there was the regular programming And we were the the King Biscuit Flower Hour on the weekend, you know. (laughs) We were like the weekend thing. And and Rich Hall had a weekend show, too, at (laughs) Onion World. So we were kind of not in the mainstream of of Comedy Channel. And I don't think we ever really were um, because then when it became Comedy Central um, and because we were, like, away from them in Minneapolis, they really – didn't give us much thought which was the best possible thing that could have happened to us because we never got any notes or anything they never tried to control the content and so it it it, you know it was in a way it was a very misleading first tv job because i never had a job ever again that was anything like that Uh, i didn't i didn't realize at the time i didn't know that that wasn't normal
1: what was the structure like if it was so outside of the network that was airing it
0: well, we just had our schedule, and yeah. you know, when we got our order to do twenty-four episodes a season, we had—I think we had—we devoted nine days to each show, and you know, it was just a steady, regular job. We just yeah. come in and do it, and get, like, we get like—we didn't have hiatuses the way TV shows have hiatus. Uh, you know how like a sitcom will, like the writers will get like two months off every year. We, we basically took a week off every six weeks, to, so that was how we did it.
1: Was it easier for you to slot into the existing show? I mean, did you, yeah, it was. Just, it I mean, just, you knew everybody. It was a
0: completely, yeah, I knew yeah. everybody. It was a completely natural fit. It just, uh, I was aware from the, from the first day how lucky I was that this was happening. You yeah. Know?
1: When the show ends, mm-hmm. and you actually do have to kind of enter Mm -hmm. the real world how how hard of a transition was that well for
0: me it was i the i left before the show ended because i i'd been with the show for five years and um you know i had always wanted to kind of see what would we like to write on other kinds of shows and um so i so i i actually made the leap i i moved i quit uh, very amicable. I'm the only guy who left the show amicably, by the way. Um, <laughs> That's something. Yeah. On <laughs> uh, amicable terms. So, yeah, I left and then I, I went to L.A. And the first year was actually very difficult yeah. um, because I have that kind of naivete that, that I, it's actually important to have this naivete, I think. it's It's kind of a blessing to be naive about what you're what's in store for you yeah. when you go and do something. Because if you really knew what it was going to be like, you might not have done it in the first place. You and you've got
1: a very special kind of naivete because yeah. most people moving there have no sense. Yeah, and you well, have well this that, idyllic idea yeah, of what a show is like. And that's
0: the thing, too, is I'd been on a show for five years. Yeah. I, we'd been nominated for Emmys. We had uh, won a Peabody Award. So I just assumed that uh, once I got out there, they just roll out the red carpet yeah. for me and, and, and the doors would just open like crazy. And for the first year, they didn't at all. And uh, that was like a kind of a, uh, a bunch of cold water in the face. Yeah, but actually, though, the thing about that first year in L.A. is that it actually turned out kind of great in a way. Even though, like, I was frequently stressed about my career, but that that's never ended anyway. So <laughs> I'm always stressed about my career, but uh, um, because then the one uh the one kind of door that just opened immediately for me in LA because I'd been on mystery science theater was the live uh, alternative comedy scene out there mm. so you know this was like uh 1994 95 and it was kind of um like the height of uncabaret and yeah. largo yeah. and um all these great alternative rooms with all these great people who I met and became friends with like Patton o'swald and david cross and uh, janine garofalo And, um, you know, Paul F. Tompkins and uh, Jimmy Dore, Paul Kozlowski. uh, And I just was kind of admitted into that world. And it it was such a great scene. It was so much fun to go out and do all these uh, stand-up shows in these new kinds of venues that they were that were really proliferating out there. So that so that ended up being like really great, even though like I didn't make a, a dime off of any of it. But that you know, so now when I look back at my first year in LA I, I, I do remember the stress and the kind of um, shock of realizing, hey, I really am still a nobody kinda of. yeah. but but then just the fun of, of meeting all these uh, new friends, these com- these comedy people that, I've, that I'm that i still friends with to this day.
1: In that world, in that alternative comedy uh, world, was there a sense of cachet from that show?
0: Yeah, that's like I said it's like the one thing yeah. in, in terms of like getting hired on TV shows and stuff like that or movies, yeah. like there was no cachet, like a lot of people hadn't even heard of the show, like yeah. they didn't give a shit in that world there was cachet because they, they all love the yeah. show, you know so, oh yeah, you, and so I would get booked in these rooms that that were, you know, that a lot of people weren't getting booked in, but I kind of got booked in right away.
1: There also must have been the idea of, oh, oh, this show has writers? Like there are people who actually <laughs> sit there and write these words? Yeah,
0: yeah. There was um, some of that, yeah, but it was, just, it was just a fun scene to be a yeah. part of. And Mystery Science Theater really, really opened that door for me like no other door that was opened out there at the time. So
1: you moved out there, uh-huh. you didn't you didn't actually have a job in Los Angeles. You just Yeah, I just up moved
0: and... out there cuz like I said I was yeah. very naive. I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to get a job right away. It's yeah. not going to be any problem." And it was
1: it took about a full year it for you. Took a to...
0: year. Yeah. I um I was there for a year and then I uh well almost a year I got hired to write this uh NBC special for um Elvira. Mm. Um The Mistress of the Dark. Yes. And she was a delight to work yeah. with. It was a terrible special, but <laughs> um and then um and then i i i got hired to write these like disney fractured fairy tale things okay. and that one of which got filmed i got hired to write two scripts one of them got filmed and but was never distributed or has never been seen that i know of and uh so that kind of got me going a little bit and then you know then i uh, it wasn't long before i got hired uh to work on Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, you know, and then I was like, then I was rolling in the dough.
1: <laughs> Close to years—a pretty long time huh? to, to rough it, you know, especially after having worked on a show for yeah, a number of years. yeah. Well, did it, you yeah. give yourself a deadline?
0: No, I I didn't. I, you know, I I uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a. De- I was just like, I'm going to see what happens with this, and and then I kind of reached a point where. In that first year, I remember, I kind of reached a point of surrender, which which kind of gave me some peace. I, I, I reached this point where it was like, well, whatever happens, happens, and I'm just going to roll with it. I'm, a, I'm turning it. You know, it's a yeah. very 12-step kind of attitude. Yeah. Like, I'm turning acceptance. it. Acceptance. Acceptance. I'm turning it over. Whatever happens, happens. If I end up having to work at Arby's again, so, yeah. you know, that's just the way it's going to go. I'm just going to deal with whatever comes my way, and, 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 and I kind of let go, and, and I kind of found some peace that way, you
1: know. Was it easier to find jobs when you were in that state, when when you let go, when you just sort um, of let I don't know come? if that had
0: any effect. I think no. I just, you know, the thing is, is that I didn't realize at the time, you know, I was lucky kind of, a, kind of the way I was lucky when I started doing uh, comedy in Minneapolis in that, the 80s comedy boom was at its peak, yeah. and there was, like, so much work. So I was able to make a meager living, like, pretty quickly after I started doing comedy there. So I was very lucky to be there at that time. And by the same token, to move out to L.A. in the mid-'90s, as scary as it was the first year, as it turned out, um, that was kind of like, there was there was so many sitcoms on the air back then. You know, like yeah. Friends yeah. and Seinfeld were gigantic hits. Yeah. So the networks just produced a million of them. So everybody I knew out there had a job on a sitcom, like in the mid-90s, you know, uh, writing for a sitcom. It's like uh, everyone I knew had some kind of job doing that. And I, you know, I, was, I got on Sabrina, you know, because probably the big-time writers were all doing the Friends spinoffs yeah. or whatever. And uh, I was able to get on a TGI Friday show, which I was delighted to be doing. So so that was like another kind of lucky thing for me is that there really, as it turned out, there was a lot of work back then.
1: I guess it's the sort of thing you can't think too much about in yeah. terms of like how you, how lucky you are with timing. If yeah. you had moved out there at the height of the reality boom, then it yeah. would have been a well, lot Yeah, well, the reality
0: harder. boom is kind of is kind of is what made a lot of it uh, go away yeah. from me, you know. But I was lucky, and then I, I not only wrote on sitcoms, like I was able to write on animated shows, like Invader Zim, and like the new Tom Green show, mm-hmm. um, and and a few others, like Liz Winstead show o to B, which was was only on for six episodes, was a satiric, a show that was a satire of um, daytime talk shows. Which was one of, maybe my second favorite thing besides mystery science theater that was, I ever did. Was it sort of was it a Daily Show template? It was yeah. It was once a week, but yeah. it was like kind of yeah. It was kind of Liz was doing for daytime shows what yeah. the Daily Show did for news shows. It was great. She and uh, Brian Unger were the hosts of okay. it. Okay,
1: who who he was an early Daily Show guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there wasn't a point when you got there. You weren't. I mean, you weren't turning down any gigs. You were taking any. No, I don't that think was... I've ever turned down a gig <laughs> in my life.
0: I'm not that. Con- you know yeah. some. Some people kind of have that confidence where they're like, "You're like, like
1: I want an Emmy. I'm yeah, not going to take." Yeah, no, I've
0: known some people have that confidence where they're offered something yeah. and they're like, "No, you know, that's not quite right for me." I'm, yeah, uh, I'm like always just whatever door opens, I'm walking through it and seeing what happens. You it's know.
1: interesting though because it, it gives you an opportunity to uh, write in different ways for yeah, different audiences. Yeah. I mean, you know, moving from Mystery Science Theater to Elvira, which I guess Elvira, you know, there was a bit of sex to it, but it was kind of an all-ages thing for the most part. And, you know, I I um,
0: haven't—not all the shows I worked on turned out that great, but they were all kind of really good experiences. I I got something out of each of them and enjoyed working on them, so I I feel like I've been very uh, fortunate, although— the thing that happened to me, you know, I got—I was on Mystery Science Theater last. I was there for five years. I went to Sabrina, his teenage wish. I was on there for four years. <laughs> Those long-running uh, runs, like, yeah. didn't happen anymore yeah. after that. You know, I did O2B with six episodes. Tom Green Show was thirteen. Invaders in was just one season. You know, so that's kind of what happened to my career is that I—I yeah. never booked that really long running gig again you know having
1: been on mystery science theater Uh, and and, you know left leaving it on your own terms but looking back in that year when you were kind of floundering you know that must have helped you appreciate everything that you were working on Mm. you know that that uh not everything was necessarily going to be that special that when you did find something that was really good that you needed to stick it through
0: well the thing is is it it and I I've, I've, I always say this about about Hollywood is that it really humbles you, you know. Yeah. And so again I, and again and again. Yeah, and and the fact you know, and, and actually being humbled can be a good thing for you spiritually, yeah. you know. From that first year on, I never uh, like had that kind of cocky attitude. Like, yeah, it's all just coming to me because I'm great, and and uh, how can they not hire me? Come yeah. on, you know. I I, I just was always. Humble and grateful for whenever I got hired for anything.
1: It's interesting. Sounds like for a few jobs there you were kind of stuck in
0: Kid TV for a while. Um, well, uh, you know, I mean, um, uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I always was very happy to write for Kid TV, yeah. and, and and I would have been happy to do more gigs writing for kids. It's, it's uh, uh, something I think you can really do a lot of weird kind of stuff surrealistic stuff when you're writing for kids and, and that appeals to me
1: is it a different experience than writing for for adults
0: all writing is kind of writing yeah. you know so in that sense no the but parameters might be a little bit different. yeah the parameters are different but the thing is is like uh, limitations within a structure of something can actually spur creativity sure. you know just having unfettered just where you can write wherever you want, which yeah. is what I do now most of the time. Just write whatever I want, and I love that. But I think you the you know being limited either by a budget uh, or or just the parameters of a show, it kind of can fuel you to be oh well, how do I figure out a creative way to to do this? You know, and 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 great stuff can come out of that.
1: So Sabrina was really your first uh, real full-time job after mystery Yeah, science it
0: was Theater. like it was like a, you know, it was a primetime sitcom. Yeah. So it was my first time in that world working uh, on the Paramount lot, which I loved. But the writing room has to be very different than a mystery science Yeah, Theater. it was. It, you know, um, it was very different and, and 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 challenging in many ways. But I think being thrust into that was good for me, you yeah. know, to kind of learn how to do a different kind of writing uh, to learn more about storytelling which the thing about mystery science theater is the the it's the people who make the movies who do all the storytelling yeah. yeah you know they kind of do all the hard work you know because in my experience writing scripts it's the story is the hard part the story and the characters and the, the comedy at least for me that part comes easily it's it's developing a good story uh, and characters that make sense and that kind of track you know that that's that, that's why sitcom writers and people who write for dramatic shows—that's why they stay. That's why they're in the writing room till four a.m. Not not because they're necessarily trying to come up with a joke. It's because they're trying to figure the story out.
1: Was it really that much of a committee to work on a show like that? Were you working on uh, storylines as a group? Yeah, as a
0: group, we we'd work out the beats of a story and we we develop an outline, and then one of the writers would go off yeah. and write a script, and and then come back. And um, and then have everything in their script changed. It's just kind of the way it works. There's no getting around. Yeah. That. Uh,
1: so it's it's hard not to feel like your work hasn't been in vain when every single piece of it's been changed. Yeah.
0: It's you know it, the thing about writing on shows like that. It can't you. You really have to figure out. Um, it can be very um, discouraging yeah. to you when a lot of your ideas don't make it or things you write get. Get changed sometimes for good reasons, sometimes arbitrarily. Yeah, Uh, the one thing about like Mystery Science Theater was that we were all kind of writing in one voice, Uh, we all kind of had very similar sensibilities. That just felt very fun and easy. But uh, on other shows that I've written on, it's there's the showrunner, and you're or the showrunner or the star of the show um, in the case of a talk show. and you're trying to write in that person's voice. You're trying to figure out what that po- person's voice is and what that person's would, a joke yeah. that would work for that voice. That's a, that to me is an unnatural process, although a necessary one, I guess. But I find it very hard as a writer to try to write in another writer's voice. It's very diff- difficult for me, at least.
1: Do you does does that require a lot of homework in in the case of a, a Sabrina or another network TV show that you have to kind of go home and like really study the show?
0: Well, I don't. Yeah, I think you have to go home and you, and and if you're you're working on a s- script, um, yeah, you have to really make sure you're. Um, you understand what the show is and what yeah. the characters are. In, uh, in the case of some shows, you don't think about it when you go home because you never go home. So.
1: Yeah. As they call it in writing, did Killing Your Darlings, did uh, that ultimately make you a, a better writer?
0: I don't know. I think I think the experience of working on a show like Sabrina or working on the Drew Carey show yeah. or the Tom Green show or, or Invader Zim or any of the shows I worked on, those experiences all made me a better writer. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they kind of took me outside of my head, which is good.
1: But but for a long time, you were really writing for somebody else, so yeah. you you really didn't get much of an opportunity to express your own voice.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was always trying to you know f- trying to pitch shows to networks yeah. and studios and stuff, and um, nothing ever really got you know happened for me in that yeah. way. Um, so well, I where, never. What were some of your pitches? Oh, I, I kind of <laughs> can't wanna go into it now. <laughs> but uh, but now you know it's it's like it's only now, like at this point in my life, where I've I've em, kind of embraced the do-it-yourself aesthetic yeah. of the modern world that we live in, that uh, that I really have gotten to put my own ideas out into the world, you know. But I think like working on all those other shows has probably helped, yeah. helped what I'm doing now, you know.
1: How would you describe what you're doing now?
0: What's what's well, your main... Well, what I'm doing now is... Uh, <laughs> you're doing a cartoon show a in cartoon Astoria. dump here in Astoria. You're
1: doing several podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah, through no effort on my own, just the way things have worked out, I've gone back to really making my living from being a live performer. Yeah. Because uh, Traceville, you and I are going out and doing our movie riffing show uh, which is an outgrowth of cinematic titanic which we did for several years which is in so, turn an outgrowth of mississippi. Yeah, and we're there. going out like almost you know a lot and we're selling out shows and that's going really well. So that has uh, and then I and I'm doing a radio show with John Fugelsang as well yeah. on SiriusXM. Yeah. So that has kind of enabled me to have the freedom to kind of put out my own things that are just my own my own projects that are just that I just put out there. Um, I have two books out, um, one called uh, 25 Mystery Science Theater Films That Changed My Life in No Way Whatsoever, one called Cats v. Conniff, and I have five radio plays that I've written that I do on my other podcast called uh, Podhouse 90, which which I do like one of them a year, and it's really all about, you know, I'm just kind of taking advantage of the technology and the internet and yeah. the world that we live in. We're like, now I am i don't have to go through gatekeepers anymore. I can produce a body of work if I want to. I don't have to wait for anyone to hand out that decision of it being okay for me to do that. I just go out and do it. And um, so I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of
1: that. It sounds like the key to that is keeping as many plates spinning at once yeah, as possible. Yeah.
0: And the great thing about, like, doing the live shows with Trace is um, then I'm able to take my books with me on the road yeah. and sell them, as, as Trace does with his book as well. And um, so it's just it just feels really – it feels like I've opened – in the world of show business, I've, I've opened up my own mom-and-pop store, you know where where I'm selling my own wares. And then every,
1: every theoretically every connection that you make is is an opening to another thing. Yeah, yeah. Once somebody's interested in one thing you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely, you know. And it's just good to get out there, yeah, and meet people and, you know, see what happens.
1: Were you doing stand up the whole time?
0: I've done stand up the whole time, okay. you know. And that's like I was mentioning about the alternative comedy scene in LA in the mid 90s. I kind of when I moved out to LA, I was kind of like figure I'm just going to be a TV writer now. Yeah. I'm not going to do stand up anymore. And just the circumstance of it was well no one is hiring me as a TV writer, but I've been invited to go out and do this show at night, so I'm going to go do it, you know. And uh, so so throughout I, I I've never really made I haven't made a living as a stand up yeah. comic since uh, the 80s pretty much, but I've been doing stand up comedy several times a week for decades for my whole life.
1: But there was never this idea of, I'm going to get a network show and quit this stupid stand-up.
0: Yeah, I think maybe I did have that kind of thought. But but now, it's gotten to the point now where I just really enjoy yeah. doing stand-up. I, I can't see myself ever giving up. And then this whole other world of live performances opened up with uh, live movie riffing shows, you know.
1: It's also, you know, before you got to this point, it sounds like you had, that was your main avenue to actually really... Express yourself directly, which you didn't have on any of the shows you were really right, waiting right, for. It was yeah. to go out stand up.
0: Yeah, yeah, stand up through it all was like kind of my means of just yeah. personal self expression. You know,
1: movie riffing has kind of has also been a constant. It sounds mm-hmm. like there were f- the few years in there you didn't do it, but obviously you're you're doing cinematic Titanic, and now yeah. you're doing it again. Um, is it is it just that much a part of you or is there a sense of this is what people know me for? This is what people w- will come out to see it's me do things. Yeah. I think
0: it's 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 what uh, it's 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 maybe it's the most marketable aspect of me at this point, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's also it people aren't really coming a, out for the writer of Sabrina the yeah. Teammate Witch. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I wish they were but. um but uh, it's just a, um, it really is a part of me, and it's, it's it, the, the art form of movie yeah. riffing, which more or less was invented by yeah. Trace, uh, J. Elvis Weinstein, and Joel Hodgson And when they started riffing movies on Mystery Science Theater, it, it's kind of a whole form of comedy now and that a lot of people do. And, um, and uh, it's, it's just really fun to do it live. Yeah. You know, I really love it. It's not like something, and I'm not like, oh, come on, stop thinking of me as the guy (laughs) from Mystery Science Theater. I've done a million other things. I have done a million other things, but I I have no problem with that being what I'm known for, you know.
1: Are are you happier now that you don't have one really main gig?
0: Um, uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, it would depend on the gig, you know, Um, uh, because... um, yeah, because, you know, the thing about a writing gig is it really is a, it's a real job. You yeah. Know, you have to go into an office every yeah. day. There are hours. You can have, I was going to say 9 get, to 5, but
1: it's more—it's a lot more than five, that. 9 to yeah.
0: 5, and it's like you have your hours, you have your lunch break, you, and then you have to be back by 1 or yeah. whatever. You know, it's like very much you really are in the uh, work-a-day world. Did, and did I, you like
1: that structure?
0: I, uh, to a point, but another part of me kind of didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of like the way my life is now. I really... Like that, I stay up till five in the morning, and I just go up and get up, and I do my radio show at, at two in the afternoon, and then I write at night. You know, it's, I kind of I kind of like that kind of lifestyle better. I think.
1: I think I think something that a lot of people don't understand who've never tried it before is that, in a sense, it takes a lot more discipline to, to be a freelancer than uh, it does to have that structure where. Yeah. You know, when you have to create your own schedule right. and when you have to really hustle to get all these gigs yeah. and to survive by somehow cobbling together all these different jobs, right. I, I mean, that's a whole other job unto itself.
0: Yeah, that, exactly. exactly. That's exactly right.
1: I mean, is there one thing that you're doing right now that you're particularly happy with? Is there one thing that you feel like this is the thing that you just want to do well, from I now on? I would
0: say um, the two things. I think the, the live shows with Trace yeah. are really. Um just nothing but a uh, positive thing in my life and and my my writing books and writing plays i think yeah is is just very important to, and a very big part of 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 who I am and what i'm doing and and you know I told someone. Recently, I, I I've only recently really kind of thought of myself as a, as a success, and and I only say that because I'm I'm I've been doing it for like thirty years. and yeah. st- I'm still doing it. Yeah, you, know? you didn't still, you didn't starve to death. I'm still <laughs> yeah, I'm still doing it, and I'm still as engaged as I was when I was first starting out, of like with projects and ideas, and uh, you know looking forward to doing shows and and and. All kinds of creative things. Uh, I'm still really completely wrapped up uh, and caught up in all of that kind of the same kind of way I was when I was in my 20s. So uh, I kind of feel good that uh, that after all these years, I'm still yeah. I'm still into it. You know.
1: And there must be a, there must be a rush when you do get recognized or people mm-hmm. do come out because they've been following the thing yeah, that you've I been mean, doing for 30 years. Yeah, I the
0: thing that's great about the fame for Mystery Science Theater is that is that its c- cult fame is actually the best kind of fame you can have because it only happens in certain places. Yeah, and like so if you I, can go to the supermarket. Yeah, oh, I, every day. <laughs> um, no, no one recognizes me anywhere. Yeah, you know? and, but if I go to a comic con, like I'll be treated like a yeah. like a star, and and. and and at Trace and our shows, you know, we'll sign autographs. You know, then the show's over. The next day we're at the airport and we're online yeah. with everybody else, and no one is being treated special. Yeah. Just a regular person, you know. So it's kind of cult fame is, is, is very manageable, you know. I mean, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, I can't go outside because I'll be ma you know. That never happens. I just, every now and then, someone will come up to me and say, hey, I really enjoy what you do. Yeah. You know? that's and that's great pretty rewarding yeah absolutely when when did you write your first book uh it came out uh last year okay and uh my second one came out a a couple months ago
1: so so book writing is a relatively new part of your career for you
0: yeah and it's actually unlike my um scripted podcasts, which which i love doing but i make no money yeah i I lose money doing them i'm actually making money from the books yeah so um so that's great. I love that.
1: It's an entirely different process, I have yeah. to imagine, than you know what you've been doing for the most part. Have been pretty short form stuff, mm-hmm. and to actually sort of sit down to give yourself a timeline to kind of hole up from the rest of the world right. and write a book is uh, it takes a it takes wherewithal, it takes patience, it takes commitment. It's a different yeah, kind of writing.
0: It's yeah, and you know actually, in terms of what I've learned from television writing, one thing about now writing on my own is that um, when I worked in TV, I really learned how to, how to write with a million distractions going on. Yeah. Like, I'm not one of these writers, I, I need my quiet space where I can go write, and otherwise, if I can't concentrate. Yeah. It's like, I, I do a lot of writing on the subway, you know. I do a lot of writing just if I'm, if I'm in a waiting room. How do you and write on the subway? I actually write on my, uh, on, uh, on really? my, on my iPhone. I, I write on I write on this. I have like the Pages app.
1: Is it when inspiration strikes you? You pull it out and start oh, no, writing. No, it's
0: not. It's not about inspiration. It's just about um, uh, you know I've got a certain amount of time between West Fourth Street and uh, yeah. wherever I'm going, yeah. and so I'm I'm just going to use that time to write. Yeah. you know. So I do a lot of writing, kind of all over the place, and and that's what I got from television is that, uh, believe me, I've been in in. Um, and production company bullpens that are louder than subways, you know, where I have to sit in my pupil yeah. and write a script that's due at like 5 o'clock. You don't need to set aside hours. Yeah, although I do when I can, yeah. you know, and I, I kind of nighttime is kind of late hmm. night is kind of my favorite time to work. But I, 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 I add to that productivity by just writing on the subway or just. You know, if I go out for a walk, I'll sit on the bench in the park, and I'll write for a while there, you know.
1: Was it hard to make that transition from, from having these regular network jobs into
0: being a freelancer? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that you just miss that steady paycheck. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's kind of the financial strain is the hardest part yeah. of not having a steady income. Uh, I, I'm only recently lucky have from our gigs the income is feeling kind of steady lately. Yeah, but I've I've had periods in the last, you know, because I moved to New York to write on John Fuglesang's show that he had on Current TV, and then I ended up writing on the W Kamal Bell show. Yeah, and that got canceled. And then since then, I haven't really landed a regular writing gig. So, you know, as you know, living in New York, you know that do, the yeah. financial strain of yeah. that uh can be very stressful but uh, but i've i've been lucky i've managed to maneuver all that so stuff. you
1: kind of got into politics a little bit through those shows
0: well on on uh twitter mainly you yeah. know
1: uh, john fugle does yeah he does a lot bit. of yeah.
0: political stuff and obviously he's, be he's out more out, of yeah. a political comedian than i am although i do do politics yeah. in my act but not all not all of it I mean, you know i come from a Background, uh, political background. My dad ran for Congress. My yeah. my grandmother ran was served in the Connecticut state legislature. So it's kind of a part of me. So it's a part of what I do, um, but it's not yeah. the only thing I do in my act. Uh, but uh, but it's it's really is the main. For some reason, Twitter just lends itself to that part of me, and most of my jokes that I write are kind of overwhelmingly political jokes because because. Twitter just has that kind of structure where, like, yeah. I get up in the morning and I read all my uh, political news websites and I see what's going on. I see what people are talking about on Twitter in terms of politics, and that just kind of gets me going, and then I, that kind of inspires uh, the jokes that I write, although now since Trump has been po- elected, like, since Trump was elected. You couldn't even say it. Yeah. <laughs> you it couldn't was, even form the words. Yeah. <laughs> but now now everybody's Twitter feed yeah. is political now. Everybody yeah. is, because everybody is very outraged and caught up in it. So it's not that unusual anymore to do a political Twitter feed. Uh, and it's also a part of my TV writing history because John's show is a very political show. Yeah. W. Kamau Bell's show was political. Yeah, of course. And uh, and I, I wrote at Air America Radio, too. Okay. You know, I wrote uh, for Liz Winstead yeah. and uh, Randy Rhodes and, and yeah. Al Franken when he was there and yeah. Janine and uh, Sam Seder yeah. um, and Mark Maron. I wrote. He had a morning show. I wrote. Yeah. morning sedition. I wrote. Yeah. Uh, and But that he, he's an example, too. I wrote political stuff for him then, but he doesn't do a lot of political stuff yeah. anymore, you know. So uh, So I do have a history of it, but I kind of. You know, I've also written animated fantasy things, yeah, you know, yeah. so.
1: so. So your parents were in politics. I know your dad won a Pulitzer. Right.
0: He was a journalist.
1: How did they feel about you going into comedy?
0: Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, my dad uh, wasn't around long enough. He yeah. died when I was, like, 14. Okay. And uh, my mom was very supportive, you yeah. know. And, uh, uh, yeah, she thought it was cool, and she was she was all for it.
1: So even when you got up and, and moved out to LA Did the crazy thing she was still backing you
0: yeah yeah she yeah. was uh, she did back she got really pissed off when the earthquake happened <laughs> the, the Northridge earthquake yeah. happened and I didn't call her to tell her I was okay <laughs> but that, other than that, that pissed her off yeah but uh and she was and rightfully so but uh yeah she was just always uh proud of uh of whatever I was doing
1: There again is Frank Conniff, myself, and an extremely loud industrial air conditioning machine in the backyard behind QED Astoria, where he does his monthly cartoon show. Thanks to Frank for sitting down and doing that. Really enjoyed that conversation. I don't know where to start with all of the Frank Conniff plugs. He's working on so many things all at once. His latest book is out as of March. It's called Cats vs. Conniff, a chronicle of the historic lawsuit brought against Frank Conniff by his cats, Millie and Barney. Uh, He does myriad podcasts, including Podhouse 90. You can check out all these things and more over at his website. It's frankconniff.com. That is two N's and two F's. Very much enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Obviously most familiar with Frank's work on Mystery Science Theater. Obviously most familiar. Three thousand. But uh, most familiar. He is three thousand. But uh, most familiar. Worked on many, many many
0: shows. Most familiar. Worked on. Many memories, many memories over the years.